Welcome to the podcast of Central Church. This is our latest weekly message. At a, a gathering called the Grass Tree Gathering that uh, I think maybe I'll get Adam to tell you a little bit about. But um, it was an amazing place. Um, we had Pastor James there as well. Um, just a room full of richness of uh, story and knowledge and wisdom and fun. And uh, yeah, it was really cool to see a whole whole community of pastors and leaders from um, particularly Aboriginal communities and Torres Strait Islander communities across Australia um, come together to um, encourage each other and to uh, welcome um, others in to sit and listen as well. And so that's where I met Adam. Um, and I think I kind of had a little brave moment with you. It's like, Adam, I want to know you. <laughs> Something like that. <laughs> it's like, I know you don't live that far away, so this is doable. Like, <laughs> we, can, we can chat. And uh, yeah, came to learn that we have very, you know, similar uh, family situations of the three kids. And um, we even share, like, my my uh, mother's maiden name is McGowan, and his family dropped the Mick at some point, and so, you know, you never know what's out there, but <laughs> we've got to spend a bit of time together over the last couple of years, and every time I'm just super encouraged and challenged, and uh, all the good stuff that comes with um, the wisdom of a brother who just embodies uh, a lot of love that he's received from Jesus. So, um, yeah, welcome, mate. Thanks for coming. Thanks, guys. It's been a, it's been a great um, journey um, getting to know Chris as well after he started to stalk me. And, um, no, it's been, it's, been, it's been really good. We took a photo. We hung out a couple of weeks ago. We took a photo. We kind of looked like long-lost twins. <laughs> My mom said, I didn't remember having a love child. I, I don't know if it was possible. Uh, it's was, it was pretty great. No, but thanks heaps, Chris, and thanks, Carol, and guys, for, for having me here. It's, um, it's, it's a privilege and an honor to, to meet with you guys uh, as family, as, as part of the body of Christ, and, and come together and, and just, yeah, just, just think and um, worship together. It was great. Thanks, team, for leading us in worship. That was, that was really beautiful. Um, so before I, I start any further, um, I'd like to... We've got a slide, so I'll do an acknowledgement of country. So I want, really want us to take just a second, just to, to stop, to take a breath and to listen to country. And thank you, Arnie, for your welcome. I really appreciate it. Um, it's so special. Uh, we actually can be welcomed to country. This is not my country. I'm an Aboriginal person, but this is, this is not the country that I come from. I'm a Wiradjuri man from out Wagga way. This is where my... Uh, ancestral connection to country is so, so special to be hosted on country. Um, so thank you, Arnie. So we acknowledge that, that this country that we're on underneath the floorboards and the timber, out there in the world past the bricks, is Wadi Wadi country. We acknowledge that our Creator has entrusted this land and all it contains the trees, the rocks, the waters, the winds the animals, the fish, the birds of the air. Our Creator has entrusted country to the Wadi Wadi people. And in turn, country is 
looked after Wadi Wadi people as Wadi Wadi people have cared for country. And so we thank country for its continuing giving of itself to sustain not only Wadi Wadi people but guests from near and far. Thank you to our amazing creator uh, who's brought us all together here today. Thank you, Jesus, for what you've done and what you're doing. In your awesome name, Lord. Amen. Um, so I, I wanted to just before I, oh, I'd say before I start about five times, but uh, <laughs> explain a little bit about who I am and where I'm coming from and just to, to say that I don't speak for all Aboriginal people. I speak for me, for my own perspective. Uh, we're a diverse bunch of people, Aboriginal Australia. There's, there's you know, like 500 nations, groups, and probably about 300 languages all throughout Australia. And so it would be like someone saying, I speak for Europe. And you, you kind of don't see that because there's so many different cultures in the European context. We kind of get that. But we, I kind of think that sometimes we miss that whole thing. We're kind of all just bundled together as Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people. And they're kind of all just one group in our mind. But I kind of wanted to say, you know, we're all different. We'll have different experiences, different perspectives, even different experiences of, of the colonization process. So we've all got a different, unique perspective. And just because one Aboriginal person says something doesn't mean that all Aboriginal people think that same way. Um, so I um, presented a paper at Grass Tree that, that um, Chris was talking about uh, called um, Narambula, and I, um, I wrote about this in my um, honours thesis as well, so this is a chapter. So I've just um, completed last year honours uh, in Indigenous Studies through University of Wollongong. I was doing it down at the South Coast Batemans Bay campuses, but I completed that and this formed a chapter uh, of that thesis, uh, talking about really my positionality and how I am in the world. And so I came across, as I said, I'm Wiradjuri, I'm trying to learn Wiradjuri, slowly, slowly, language. Um, but I came across this word for Balba that really resonated with me. And the word is Narambula. You say that? Narambula. Yeah, good. I like that. Good. Uh, and Narambula in Wiradjuri means homes too. And it refers to the fact that the Bowerbird builds this bower, this structure here, uh, and this is like the courtship kind of place where the, the, the fella dances around and makes sure he impresses the ladies. Um, but they also build a nest. And so the, in the nest, they, they lay the eggs, they you know, um, incubate the eggs, and then at the end of that period, the, the chicks hatch in that nest. So it's this whole perspective that the bowerbird has two homes. Uh, is Narambula, homes too. Uh, and, and that's how I feel. I feel like I've got a home in my Aboriginal, Aboriginality. I also feel like that I can't deny uh, my whiteness and my, it, my uh, connection to mainstream Australian culture. It's not a, not a simple one or the other. I feel like I'm both. I have those two homes. Uh, so that's the perspective that I speak to you from this morning. So if I say we or us, I might be talking about the church, one. I might be talking about white Australia, two. I might be talking about Aboriginal Australia. So if you're not sure, ask me, because I might say that. So I need to clarify that. Um, so that's, that's Narambula. 
Um, and so, yeah, it's a privilege to be here in um, Reconciliation Week, uh, which we and I love to see these posters. Oh, that's great. I'm so glad uh, that those posters for uh, Reconciliation Week and for NADOC are up there, because um, I wanted to point those out to you if you hadn't seen them, but you've already seen them, which is great. And you might notice that there's a theme emerging uh, this year. Uh, so the Reconciliation Week one, the theme is Grounded in Truth, Walking Together in Courage. You might have heard that this week. And then the NADOC one, which is coming up first full week of July, is Voice Treaty Truth. So there's a whole lot of uh, emphasis being put on this whole truth thing. And so I wanted to talk a little bit about that, about what the truth is and, and how we can understand that uh, in specific ways. Um, yeah, so Reconciliation Week um, goes every year from 27th of May, uh, which is like last Monday, and that's the, that's the anniversary of the 1967 referendum, uh, which is a referendum to basically include Aboriginal people as part of the population more broadly, so they give the federal government powers to legislate. It's, it's a complex. Now, all this stuff is complex. Like there's, there's complexities and all. But we celebrate that. Uh, and then we're also tomorrow, 3rd of June, uh, is the 27th anniversary of the High Court handing down the Mabo decision, which is a huge thing for, for land rights, for, particularly in the Torres Strait. Um, that was where that whole thing started. And one of the, the claimants there in that High Court case uh, is Father Dave Passy, a, a minister as well. Uh, so I wanted to point out some of these things as well. And, and actually, NADOC Week started um, with um, William Cooper, who's a pastor, who now has the federal electorate named after him down in um, Victoria. Cooper, uh, which just changed from Batman, uh, and he was a, an amazing Yorta Yorta man, basically uh, was the only recorded pub, a private citizen to lodge a petition against Germany, uh, to, so he took a, position, a petition to the German embassy in World War II to say what you're doing to the Jews is wrong, and that was like the only recorded private citizen to actually take a stand and say that that was wrong. So he was a pastor and he started doing this thing called Aborigines Sunday. And so out of that kind of this thing grew and got legs and it became NADOC, NADOC week that we kind of celebrate. So I wanted to draw our, our attention to that as us the church. There we go, I'll just clarify us the church. Um, the, the whole NADOC week actually came and has its roots in being a church thing where we the church, we the church, stood up and said, what's going on for our Aboriginal brothers and sisters is not right. We need to draw attention to this, um, So, which is pretty special. Um, can I get a glass of water? Thanks, bro. Okay, so if we go to the next slide... Um, has most people seen this map now? It's becoming probably more and more famous. Like, if you ask people if they've seen this map, like, even like five years ago, there was like not very many people who had seen it. But I'm really glad that this map is kind of getting a bit more famous and kind of getting out there and kind of, we're kind of getting an understanding uh, of what, a little bit of how uh, Aboriginal Australia looks because it is uh, complex and, as you can see, thank you, so um, multifaceted. Um, excuse me a sec. 
So I wanted to, um, tonight, uh, share with you a few things. So share with you a little bit of Australian history that we might not know that's important for us as the church to know. Um, and kind of hopefully set some kind of, not way forward in terms of here's three steps that you can do. We kind of build a framework of what we can do to really engage with our Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander brothers and sisters better as the church. Um, all right, so I do this. Next slide, we've got um, well, Bible verse because that's probably a good place to start. Uh, Philippians 4 8, which is probably one of my favorites. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Now, I think it's the, the role of the church in the world to actually point out these things, point out what's beautiful in the world, what's good, what's excellent, noble or praiseworthy. It's our job as the church to kind of say, these are those things and we should be thinking about that. Not only should we be thinking about it, we should be working towards achieving some of those things and being this people, not only for us, the church, but us as nations and peoples of the world. So that's where I want to go tonight. So the church hasn't always done this and in the Australian context has been pretty, pretty terrible actually uh, at kind of at dehumanising uh, Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people. Uh, and because of that dehumanisation, we see terrible statistics that are, you know, I'm sure you're all aware that's the next slide. Just goes to show, like, I've put a link there, so I can send this through, and you can kind of have a read up of some of these statistics if you want all the numbers. But the truth of the matter is that Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people have terrible outcomes in all these areas, in incarceration, deaths in custody, uh, educational attainment. It's, it's more likely that an 18-year-old Aboriginal man will go to jail than complete a university degree. Like health, life expectancy. So on average, Aboriginal people live 10 years less than their non-Aboriginal counterparts, just due to the fact that of our Aboriginality. I mean, I could go on about this stuff all night, but I don't want to paint it. Don't want to dwell on this stuff. But I want us to know that this stuff is exists, that it's real, and that we should be pointing to a better way. That we should be standing up as the church and going, "This is not excellent." This is not praiseworthy. This is stuff that we actually need to move on. And the fact of the matter is that this isn't just a practical thing. No amount of legislation is going to change some of this stuff. This stuff is spiritual stuff and requires spiritual answers. And we as spiritual people need to be praying into this stuff. We need to be actually exercising our spiritual muscles and sit working towards spiritual solutions as well as practical solutions. That's not to say that the practical stuff doesn't matter. Yes, we need to do that. But we as spiritual people need to be focusing on spiritual solutions as well as, which I think has been part of the missing, or the, the missing piece of some of these problems. And um, the next slide will show us why. So this fellow here is the Reverend Samuel Marsden. He came out to New South Wales in 1794 as the assistant chaplain 
Uh, he was promoted to senior chaplain in New South Wales in sometime between 1802 or 1810. It's not really clear. He kind of got the position but wasn't getting paid for it, so it was a bit blurry. Uh, so he was also made like a judge. That, like He just used to love flogging people. Uh, and so he was like remembered as the flogging parson. Um, I'm, I'm sorry that I'm reading this, but I just need to get some of this stuff out. So in 1815, Samuel and Eliza Marsden founded the first seminary uh, and trade training school for Maori in Parramatta. So this was because the, um, Samuel saw the, the Maori and thought, these guys are all right, but he didn't like us Aboriginal people here. Because <laughs> in um, 1819, he declared that we, Aboriginal people, were beyond the power of Christ to save let that sink in. The Aboriginal people were beyond the power of Christ. This is a reverend. Like, this is the dude leading the church. This is the guy training church leaders. First dude in Australia to do it. And he declared this. The Aborigines are the most degraded of the human race. The time has not yet arrived for them to receive the blessings of civilization and the knowledge of Christianity. So that's what we're up against a bit here. This is where we're coming from, and this is, this is the church. This isn't just government saying this, and we know that you know, that's, that's been problematic as well. But we, the church, need to stand up and go, yeah, we've got, we've got our own issues. We've got our own stuff we need to deal with. And we need to actually look at it, fair in the face, and go, yep, yeah, we've got, we got some stuff to do here. We've got a way to go. So also in saying that, um, it's not just about civilizing and missionizing Aboriginal people. We've got to get better at what we mean by that and actually, actually interrogate our practice as well. We can't just go, okay, well, this old dude thought it was, he was kind of, those Aboriginal people were beyond the power of Christ and that they didn't, they hadn't earned the right to be civilized and to inherit Christianity yet. We actually need to look at that one step back and go, no, we actually need more than just missionizing. We don't just need to, to reach out to Aboriginal people to see them saved and then to kind of draw them into the Western way of life. You see, I think Aboriginal people, particularly Aboriginal people in the church, um, kind of cop a bit of a bad rap from the church in terms of how we walk out our Christianity. You know, it's kind of expected that if Aboriginal people come to Christ, that they leave their culture behind and enter into this kind of new culture. But the new church culture, the church culture that we exist in mostly, isn't the culture of the kingdom of heaven. It's still an earthly thing. And it's actually more Western than we appreciate. It's actually, we have this syncretism or this joining together of Western thought and the church. And we kind of think that they're the one thing when actually they're not. The church, spirituality, connection to the divine creator is so much more and so much bigger than church culture. And so we need to expand our minds to actually go, yeah, we, we've got the gospel, but we need to get big in how we think about culture in church. We need to actually get big about how we 
do church so that we can actually incorporate other perspectives. And that is truly social justice. It's actually beyond that missionizing, civilizing mission to a, here's the gospel as we know it. How can you apply this? How does this apply to your culture? And how can that expression then be a fresh expression that is a blessing to the body of Christ globally? Because that's what we've yet to see. And that's what we really need to see. I was just saying to Arnie before, there's so many good things about Aboriginal culture that the church has yet to learn about how we do community, about how we know each other and care for each other, about how we care for country, and so many other things that the church has yet to learn, but it's kind of dismissed our perspective as inferior, as not worth anything, because of this syncretism that exists between Western culture and church culture. Um, so next one, thanks. So it's not just social justice. Aboriginal people and their perspectives need to not just be seen as people out there in need of saving, in need of civilising, but our perspectives bring challenges to the way in which the church is operated. And this is the iron sharpening iron. The church desperately needs the perspective of Aboriginal Australians so that we can go from pot plant Christianity to something that is organically able to permeate our whole nation. And that's, that's Uncle Ray Minicon has this whole analogy that, you know, the gospel was kind of brought to Australia in this kind of like pot plants and we kind of haven't really planted it in the soil of our sovereignty as Aboriginal people and that's what's really needed for, for it to take hold and grow and permeate throughout all this nation. And that's not to say that when the gospel was brought here that the Creator God wasn't speaking to Aboriginal people before that time. The Holy Spirit has been present in these lands since time immemorial, he is the creator. And we might refer to him differently. It might be Mirigal or Bayami or so many other names. But it's, it's like when Paul talks about, you know, got those, those altars to those unknown gods. In some ways, we, we kind of need the gospel to, to tie some of those things together and to kind of go, yeah, there's stuff in our culture that's very good and we should adopt that as the church. There's stuff in every culture that's amoral, that has no moral standing, that's not good, not bad, it just is. And there's stuff that, there, that in our culture as Aboriginal people that we can actually adapt to make it good. And there's stuff in Western culture you know, that can be adapted to be made good for the purposes of the church and to proclaim Jesus. There's stuff that is bad in every culture. But again, that syncretism, we kind of like, brush over the Western stuff and really accentuate the stuff in other cultures. Oh, that's bad. That's, oh, that's terrible. That's because it's not part of our cultural understanding. And there might be stuff that is, uh, there definitely is stuff that is amoral, that's not, uh, sorry, that is immoral, that is bad, but it's in all cultures. And we need to recognize that first in our own culture where we are before we have any credibility to say what's immoral in other cultures. And we need to let people in their own cultures decide what's the stuff that's good, what's the stuff that's bad, and give them the space and opportunity to work that stuff out for ourselves. Um, yeah, next one, bro. So I kind of like to think of doing theology more as a theography. Uh, and what I mean by that, I'm... 
I kind of dis I kind of thought this was a really cool word. Uh, I thought I made it up, and then it exists as something else. It's got like another definition. So I kind of like, ah, oh, missed opportunity. But what my thinking was, was, you know, we kind of do theology in the church. We kind of have this way where we think about God and we study God and we get academic about God in this theology way. And I kind of like wanted to compare this to like geology, whereas like in geology, we kind of know the properties of a mineral. We kind of like know it and we research it. And we kind of know everything about it. We can tell you its weight, its density, its, its chemical properties, how it reacts with some other things. But then when you look at that same rock in the context of geography, it kind of is wider ranging. It's how that thing relates in a system to other things. And that's what I want to do, because I think that Aboriginal people understand that everything is relational. It's not just stuff to own, it's how it relates to things. And, and really in the Western church we have a, a fixation about ownership and about owning things, and the stuff is, is stuff to own. Whereas in our Aboriginal cultural perspective, we more accentuate and know things by how they are related to other things rather than being something to own. But in, in the real meaning of the theography word, it's like biography. So it's like the life of Christ explained. That's, that's what really theography is meant to mean. But I like my definition much better. Um, so um, I haven't kept an eye on the time. Uh, I wanted to do, do two more things. Um, so I wanted to explain... Uh, yeah, we'll go to the next one. Uh, Miroslav Volf, uh, theologian, theographer <laughs> from America, great guy, um, has this book called Exclusion and Embrace. And he... Um, he kind of has these four stages of embrace that I think uh, are going to be really important for how we look at that whole process of reconciliation, the ministry of reconciliation, uh, as we're positioned here. So, um, so the first stage of an embrace is that arms are open. And when we open our arms, Miroslav says, that we make space within ourselves for the other. I love that. I love that we actually physically open ourselves to the possibility of someone else being within ourselves. That's the that whole action of, of opening our arms. And I should say before I go any further that this process can only occur when the possibility for new injustices being perpetrated has been dealt with. So we still have a, a way to walk on that journey first before this kind of process I think can start but I wanted to go here because I think this is the really exciting part and I think this is where we're heading um, it's, it'll take time but that's good we've got time so the second step is waiting there's nothing worse than being like rushed it's like a it's like a tackle nearly it's not a hug if, if you, you kind of open your arms and wait you have to wait because that it's, it's about consent. It's about both parties being ready 
and willing to participate in this act, this act of the embrace. So first, open our arms, make space inside ourselves for the other. Secondly, wait. Wait. Wait for the other to be ready. The third step is the arms close, and that's the embrace proper, where we're both come together, where both have made space, both have waited, both have consented to come together in that embrace, and that is the embrace proper. But it can't end there. Amiristov kind of talks about oppressive unity at this point, where the coming together, the stronger party can kind of claim ownership and the other is lost. And it's, so it's not an embrace anymore because the two have become one permanently in that way. So there's actually time to release. And that release gives space for the other to continue being something else other than me. That is important as well. And this is where we talk about that Western syncretism in the church. We actually need to give space for Aboriginal peoples to be culturally Aboriginal people and not conform to the things of the church in that way that we kind of think of as that's how you do church. We need to give space for an, a, a different expression of God's grace and God's love and God's goodness. It doesn't mean that it's bad because it's different. In fact, there's so much diversity in our world. Why would we expect that there would be conformity within the church if God's created both? So I really love that the whole picture that um, Miroslav Volf paints of the embrace. And I think that there are some keys for us in how we approach reconciliation in that process. Um, and so I said about social justice being about incorporating Aboriginal perspectives as well. And that's what I want to do just for the last part here now. I want to take a, a verse from, from the Bible and pull it apart just a little bit, um, hopefully from an Aboriginal cultural perspective. Now I know you guys are doing Sermon on the Mount as a kind of a, a theme. So I just, want to, I just took a verse from um, Matthew 5. Uh, verse 5, the next one, um, which says, Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Um, have you done this one yet? No. Great. Hopefully I can add something that's worthwhile then. Hang on a sec. Okay, so there's, there's three parts to this, and I'll, I'll kind of... Um, rush through it a little bit here because I've got, got a bit to say. Um, so the three parts are meekness, inheritance, and the earth. Now I've already said that you know Aboriginal people generally, we know what it is to care for country. That's part of our cultural understanding. Our cultural makeup is connection to and care of country. So we know how to kind of, so when I say country, I'm, I'm kind of thinking about the earth as country at this point. So, so meek uh, in the Greek, meek in the Greek, yeah, I heard it here first, that's a cool rhyme. 
So meek in the Greek is um, praus, which translates as gentle. Uh, it's a positive moral quality of dealing with people in a kind manner, with humility and consideration. It can also mean forgiving, mild, benevolent, humane, humble, considerate. And Jesus, in this verse, is riffing on uh, a psalm. So Psalm uh, 37, verse 11 says, The meek shall inherit the land and delight themselves in abundant peace. And so from that we can actually look at, okay, well what does meek mean in the Hebrew? Going back to the Old Testament and having this whole continuity of flow from, okay, so we've got the Hebrew and then the translated into Greek and the, in the, the Septuagint. Um, so, anav in, is the Hebrew word for meek. Uh, means poor, humble, lowly. I like that actually lowly um, word that it kind of points to there because it kind of means close to the ground, doesn't it? And I like that because it's kind of close to the earth. So if you're close to the earth, we'll be blessed by inheriting it, both physically and symbolically. So it's reminiscent of other Beatitudes like um, blessed are the poor in spirit. Um, so, and as, as I've said, that carries through Old Testament through to the New Testament. And so, um, as I said before, I'm trying to learn, or learning very slowly, Wiradjuri language. And I came across this word that I love, and it's like a philosophy of life and being in Wiradjuri. And the word is Yindiamara. You think you can say that? Yindiamara. Hey, good work, good work. I like it. Doing well. And so, um, this Yindiamara, the philosophy of being, is something to be aspired to. Uh, and many, in many ways, it's a superior rendering of the English word meek. Like, the word meek doesn't really cut it. Like, in terms of what we look at in the Greek and then the Hebrew, it's kind of like gentle Jesus, meek and mild. And it's not that. It's actually something much grittier, much gutsier. Uh, it's much more yindiamara. Um, and so, oh, where have I got that? Okay, so the Wiradjuri Dictionary defines yindiamara as to do something slowly, to do with respect, to be gentle, to be polite, and to honour. And I love that. I think that's what Jesus was trying to actually point us to when he's saying that the meek, blessed are the meek, blessed are those who display yindiamara. They will inherit the earth. The soil, the earth, the region. It's the same G as geography and geology. It's not just a consumer good. Not just a commodity to be bought and sold for financial and economic benefit. It's something that we actually have a responsibility for. And that's, that's, the, that's the inheritance word. We look at that word and look at that whole process of inheriting throughout the Jewish cultural perspective. And it was inheriting with responsibility and with purpose. It was actually something much bigger than just getting a good, getting a financial benefit or an economic reward. 
It was something that was handed on for purpose. It was communal in nature. It wasn't just individualistic. It was actually a responsibility to community and to your family, to, to those uh, who you relate to, you're in relationship with. Um, might try and draw it to a close here but I just wanted to, to thank you for having me thank you for listening and, and just call us as the church to walk together in truth we talked about truth we talked about the emphasis that the Aboriginal community are putting on truth this year particularly um, to walk together the truth a uh, truth that's not just a fact truth is something much bigger than fact Jesus said, I am the truth. What does that mean? He also said, I am love. It's actually something bigger than facts and figures, all that stuff. It's actually something that's a spiritual thing, something that we feel deeply within our beings. So let's walk together in that kind of truth. Let's walk together to say, yeah, we, there's been stuff that, that isn't great. And the church has been a part of that in so many ways. But let's walk together to work that out and to embrace each other, make space within ourselves for that difference and for that tension. Tension's not bad. Tension's actually quite a good thing. Forces us to think, forces us to actually get uncomfortable. And, you know, you kind of don't do very much when you're comfortable. If you're just sitting on a couch at home, snuggled up in a blanket, like that's comfortable. You don't want to do very much. But when there's that little bit of tension, it actually draws us to do something. So may we live in that truth, that truth of discontent, of not being able to, to settle for the status quo so that we actually can achieve something that's of amazing significance, both practically and spiritually. Thank you. Thanks, mate. Wow. Thank you so much, Adam. That's, I feel like there's a lot that I need to chew on and sit with and let that marinate, and I think we all would, yeah, really um, be richer for that. So thank you so much, mate. Um, can I get, um, maybe Chris, can you go and get the kids? Because they're going to, oh, or Jessamy or someone. Yep. Thanks, Jessamy. Because um, we're going to come around the table together. And I, just as Adam was speaking, I was thinking even about the meekness of Jesus. It sounds like a weak Jesus, but it's not a weak Jesus. I think the meekness of Jesus is his amazing strength. Um, and the irony for us in a white western culture is that um the colonial kind of model that we've we've existed in has been the opposite of what we're actually shown and celebrate here so um i thought i'd just share a story um to model some of that so i want everyone just imagine you're you're on you're walking to to work or to school or to somewhere and you as you do fall in a massive hole and you break your leg you fall down the hole boom leg snaps, 
and you look up and there is no way you can get yourself out of that hole. Common kind of like salvation sort of story start here, right? With a kind of, you know, there's going to be a bridge in a sec. Um, no. So you're in a hole, your leg is broken. Come on in, kids. Come on in, grab a seat. I'm telling a story about how you fall in a hole. Excellent. You're, you're on board, Saf. Good. All right. So if you're falling in a hole, so you're, okay, I, I can't get myself out of here. I need help. And so you hear someone coming along, and it's a lawyer. He's nice suit, walking along. You're like, mate, I need help. I need help. Kids, we've fallen in a hole, and we're looking for help. Just to catch you up on the story, come and join us. Falling in a hole, we're looking for help. Come and grab a seat. And the lawyer's like, looks down. He's like, yes, uh, I, think, I think there's some, um, some loopholes we'll be able to work here. To, to, yeah, we should be able to figure something out. He walks off, and you never see him again. He's gone. And then Pastor Caro walks past. You're like, yes, Pastor Caro, I know her. She's nice. She'll help me. And she leans over the holes. Oh, yes, I'll pray for you. And she's on her way. Maybe you got some prayers, but you never see her again. And then, yeah, Carrie. And then Jesus walks past the hole. And you're like, yes, it's Jesus. It's Jesus. He's going to save me. You're like, Jesus, save me. And he looks down in the hole. He's like, yes. And he jumps in. And you see him falling towards you, and you hear him hit the ground, and you hear his legs snap, pop. And you're like, Jesus, what are you doing? You're in the same situation. You have, we have broken legs together. He's like, yeah, but it's okay. I've been here before. That's the end of the story. <laughs> it's good, isn't it? That's a feel-good story, isn't it? But that's this story, right? Is that we have a God not who rules and saves by lording it over us, but who saves us by reconciling himself to us, by entering our mess and the hole that we find ourselves in. He enters that with us and he suffers and his body is broken with us and for us. So that's what we're going to celebrate. That's what we're going to enter into tonight, that Jesus, that is weak or that appears weak but is meek and that is love so that will be good that's cool so what we're going to do is we're going to kind of come on out i'm going to break the bread and I'll, i might get a couple of helpers just to come and hand it out so come and um grab some bread and then and some wine or some juice and then come and sit down and we'll as much as we can we'll try and take it together to, to end the service together so Come on out. Kids, come, come and grab it and then go and sit down with your parents, okay? Thanks for listening. If you want to check out more about Central, visit us at centralchurch.org.au. Music by Chris D'Souza, a beloved member of Central. <laughs>